Amen. Well, I went to Israel uh, a few uh, weeks back, and since it was a uh, overseas trip, it was a huge plane, and I got to experience for the very first time first class. Okay. For the very first time in my life, I got to experience first class. Not that I was in first class. No, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I saw first class. <laughs> I was able to walk by first class. I was able to see first class. I wasn't there, though, okay? And if you've ever been on a plane where they uh, divided first class from the common coach area, you know what they do. When the plane begins to take off, they will quickly take that curtain and they will close the curtain, right? <laughs> and even though you saw a glimpse of first class, you really don't know what's going on behind that curtain unless you've been behind that curtain. Unless you've been in first class, unless you've gone through it, you really don't know what's going on behind the curtain there. I believe Seinfeld, he had this in one of his uh, uh, segments in, in his comic uh, routine one time about how they divide the two areas, and he was complaining about it as if he doesn't fly first class anywhere he goes, okay? Seinfeld is a very wealthy man. I'm sure Seinfeld <laughs> is flying first class wherever he goes, but he talks about this divide. He talks about this separation, and he talks about the way they separate is by using a curtain. A curtain that you cannot see beyond and you can't see what is on the other side. It reminds me of that uh, game show, Let's Make a Deal. Anybody remember watching Let's Make a Deal? If you don't happen to watch it, it's back. Okay? <laughs> They're doing it again on CBS. But Let's Make a Deal is all about that. They're going to offer you prizes. They're going to offer you gifts. They're going to offer you trips or something to give you. But you have to decide which one do you want. Do you want what's behind curtain number one or do you want what's behind curtain number two? Now, it would be easy for us to decide which one we want if we knew what was behind the curtain. If we knew what was behind the curtain, it would be a no-brainer. That's why they say you never make a decision between good and bad. You make a decision between bad and worse. Good and bad, there's no decision. Do you want to... Piece of pizza or you want to poke in the eye? Which one you want? Well, no, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> so if you have a decision to make, it's never good or bad. It's always bad or worse, okay? And in this particular situation in the game show, do you want behind what's behind curtain number one? Do you want what's behind curtain number two? And it's hard for them. Why? Because they don't know what's on the other side. They don't know what's behind the curtain. And if you could just show me what's behind the curtain, I can then make a better decision. And sometimes that's how we feel the kingdom of God is. Sometimes that's how we feel God himself is. He is like the Wizard of Oz that is saying, don't look behind the curtain. <laughs> no, 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 look, no, keep that curtain closed. Don't look behind the curtain. I don't want you to see what's behind the curtain. And nothing could be further from the truth. God is not like the wizard from Oz saying, keep the curtain closed, or the stewardess on first class saying, keep the curtain closed. No, he wants the curtain to be open. He wants you to know. He wants me to know what is on the other side. Let me give you an example of this. 2 Corinthians 3.12. In 2 Corinthians 3.12, it says this, Therefore, since we have such hope, that's the living hope we just got through singing about, our hope is in Jesus Christ, and again, 
hope is not wishing, hope is waiting. Hope is simply waiting for what you know is yours already. When we use the word hope in this world, in our vernacular, it's always wishing. I hope this happens, I hope that happens, and it could happen, it could happen. That is not how the Bible uses the word hope. When the Bible uses the word hope, it is not talking about wishing for something to happen. It is talking about waiting on what you know is going to happen. And so the Bible says here, therefore, since we have this kind of hope of what we know is going to happen, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day, that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. You ever read scripture to somebody, you quote scripture to somebody, and they say, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand that. That's foolishness to me. That's crazy to me. I can't see that happening. I don't get it. Well, you can't get it. Why? Because the Bible says there is a veil that lies on the heart of all of humanity. And he compares it to the same veil that Moses used to cover the glory that shone on his face. God says, In that same way, there is a veil that blinds the people from seeing the truth. And you cannot see the truth. The Bible says these things are spiritually discerned where you cannot see the truth. But the Bible says, nevertheless, verse 16, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is what? Taken away. Now that doesn't seem like God is is like the Wizard of Oz where he is keeping the curtain closed and he doesn't want you to see what's on the other side. He doesn't want to open the veil. No, he's saying all you have to do is turn to me. If you would but turn to Jesus Christ, I will then remove the veil. I will then open the curtain. I will then show you the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I will show you what's on the other side of the curtain if you would but turn to me. Don't turn to me. Don't expect to see it. (laughs) Don't turn to me. Don't expect the veil to be removed. But if you do turn to me, I will reveal what's on the other side of the curtain to you. God wants to remove and reveal He wants to remove the veil, and he wants to reveal what's on the other side of the curtain. Give you another example, 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now be honest, when do we usually hear that scripture quoted? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has in store for those who love him. Obviously in church, but what, what particular event is going on in the church when that is being read? Funeral. <laughs> Thank you. A funeral. 
The preacher will get up and they will quote this scripture to say the dearly departed is now seeing what they didn't see before. The dearly departed is now hearing what they never heard before. The dearly departed is now having a good time experiencing what they didn't experience before. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Now, it is true that they're seeing and hearing and experiencing all that. What's wrong is they never had the opportunity to see hear it before. Why? Because the very next scripture says this. But God will reveal it to them. No, that's not what the Bible says. But God has revealed it. God, past tense, has already revealed it to them through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Translation, when you became a Christian, when you gave your life to Christ, when God deposited his own spirit into your dead spirit, he then was able to reveal to you what no eye has seen, reveal to you what no ear has heard, reveal to you what even has entered the heart of man. He has been able to already reveal that to you. You don't have to wait till you die. You don't have to wait till you get to the other side to know what's behind the curtain, in other words. God has already revealed that to those who are found in Christ Jesus. Because that is his heart. He wants us to know what's on the other side. So, we had a few questions in 2019 that alluded to this particular question. What is behind the veil? What is on the other side? What does the afterlife hold? Okay, so I'm going to give you those questions. We had four questions, and those were the end of all the questions we had. So if y'all don't submit any more questions, that'll be the end of our question session, okay? So you got to submit some more questions to us. So these were the last four questions that we had in our bank that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. This was the first question. What happened to the Christians who died before the cross? Now, I know after the cross that we go to heaven. I know after the cross, you know, when Jesus came and bled and hung and died and rose again. Now, when we die to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord, we go to heaven. We're in the presence of God. I know that. But what happened to the saints before Christ? What happened to the saints before the cross? What happened to the saints before Jesus Christ was born uh, in Bethlehem of a virgin uh, and placed in a manger and all that? What happened to the saints before that? That was their question. A preacher said they were taken into paradise. So is that true? And if so, what does that mean? Also, what is the third heaven? Okay, the Bible mentions a third heaven, and so what is the Bible talking about when it refers to the third heaven? That was question number one. Question number two. Where in the Bible does it talk about the lion, lion laying with the lamb? Like we see in all the statues and the paintings, I grew up with the thoughts that it was biblical, but all I can find is the wolf and the lamb. So what's the lion and the lamb meaning? Okay. Not only does this have a meaning for right now here today, but there's also a lion 
and a lamb laying down together in, on the other side as well. And so we're going to talk about that. Question three. Is purgatory real? <laughs> is purgatory real? And if so, what exactly is it? The Catholic faith likes to use it to scare people. They're their words, not mine. Okay, so save your emails. <laughs> the, the, the Catholics like to use it to scare people. <laughs> and I would like to put that fear to rest. So what is purgatory? Is it real? If so, what is it? And then the fourth and final question that we're going to be answering in the next several weeks. In light of all of the shootings that are going on, a teenager asked, if someone puts a gun to their head and asks if they believed in God, and if they said yes, they would die, what should the teen then say or do? They are torn between wanting to live and see their family or dying rather than to deny Jesus. So would they go to hell if they said they don't believe or would God understand the situation? So that is another question that we are going to answer throughout these particular weeks here. All of these questions deal with what's behind the veil. All of these questions deal with what's on the other side of the curtain, okay? What does the afterlife have to offer us, uh, and what do we have to look forward to in these particular situations and circumstances? You know, before a movie will come out, they will always give a sneak peek, right? <laughs> they will give a sneak peek, whether that sneak peek comes from a preview that they released whether that sneak peek comes from a behind-the-scenes HBO special that they're going to show you, whether that sneak peek, come, sneak peek comes from a, a premiere where a certain group of people get to go and watch a movie before everybody else gets to. Before a movie comes, they will always offer a sneak peek. <laughs> well, God is doing the same thing with you and I as it relates to the afterlife. Before we get to the afterlife... <laughs> Well, before the afterlife gets to us, God wants to give us a sneak peek. He wants to pull back the veil, let you in on what is behind the curtain or the other side. So we have changed in a little bit the format of our undergrounds. What in the word? We are now going to do series, okay, just like we do on Sundays, okay? And the series that we are starting today is all about what's behind the veil. And it is a series we're calling Sneak Peek. Okay? Series we're calling and titling Sneak Peek. All right? We named our church Believe Church. And the reason why we named our church Believe Church is because that's who we are. <laughs> Not only that's who we are, that's what we do. We are believers who believe, okay? But if you think about it, everybody's a believer, right? If you think about it, everybody is a believer. And the reason why everybody is a believer is because everybody believes something. Every single person 
believes something. Traditionalists believe in a heaven. Agnostics believe you can't know if there's a heaven. Atheists believe that there is no heaven. (laughs) As a matter of fact, one of the most popular, well-known songs of all time is a song called Imagine. Imagine. And that's how the lyrics start off. Imagine there's no heaven. Oh, it's easy if you try. (laughs) No hell below and above, nothing but sky. Imagine people just living for today. They're not living for tomorrow, not living for the future, not living for the afterlife. Imagine, if you will, with me that there is no heaven. That person who penned that song believes there's no heaven. So you have traditionalists who believe in a heaven. You have agnostics who believe you can't know if there's a heaven. And then you have atheists who believe there is no heaven. So everybody believes. Everybody is a believer because everybody believes something. So the question is not, do you believe? The question is, what do you believe? Question is not if you believe because everybody believes. The question is, what do you believe? What do you believe and why? So before we get into answering those four questions about the afterlife, we are going to talk about what we believe and why. That's what we're going to start off with tonight, okay? What we believe and why. And by the way, that's what you should start off with anybody you talk to. You should always start off with the why, okay? Doesn't matter what they believe, doesn't matter what they say. Your next question should be, why do you believe that? (laughs) I don't care what they say. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care what belief they have. Your next uh, question, your response to whatever they say is, why do you believe that? What are you basing that belief on? I mean, we can have a belief about anything. We can believe that we all came from little green men from Mars. We can all say that (laughs) and believe that. The question is, Why do you believe that? What are you basing that belief on? Because we have people today who like to simply pick and choose what they want to believe. Pick and choose what works for them. (laughs) Regardless if it's true or not, that's beside the point. (laughs) I want to pick and choose what I like. I want to disregard what I don't like, as if they were at a buffet. Um, I'll take a little bit of that. Give me a side of that. Oh, what is that? No, I don't want any of that. No, give me that. No, he is king of kings. He is not Burger King. You cannot have it your way. Okay? That is not how this works. <laughs> but that's what people do. <laughs> they will try to pick and choose what they want to believe, disregard what they don't like, what they don't want to believe. <laughs> And call themselves saying, I am affirming my faith in that. So whatever belief someone has, whatever they give you, your next question should be, why do you believe that? What are you basing that belief on? Well, I just believe it just because I believe. Well, is that enough? (laughs) 
Is that what you're going to bank on when, when you die and you stand before a holy God one day? You're going to bank on, well, that just felt right to me? <laughs> you got to have more of a reason of why you believe what you believe than that. So why do you believe what you believe? That's what we want to talk about today. Genesis 1.1. Some of you can turn there, but of course you can quote it. <laughs> Genesis 1-1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. You can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. Well, of course you can. (laughs) Of course you can. And I'm going to show you how in a little bit, but that's not even what I'm doing here because Genesis 1-1 doesn't only apply to Christians. Genesis 1-1 doesn't only apply to Christianity. Genesis 1-1 applies to everybody. Everybody. Okay. Why does Genesis 1-1 apply to everybody? Why? Well, because everybody has a beginning. <laughs> And that beginning had to come from somebody. That's why. So Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists. Genesis 1-1 applies to everybody. Why? Because everybody had a beginning. And that beginning had to come from somebody. So when the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that applies to everybody and every belief. Everybody and every belief, because everybody came from somebody. Everybody had a beginning, and that beginning came from something. Nothing comes from nothing. You should have learned that in third grade science, okay? Nothing comes from nothing. And because nothing comes from nothing, that means if you're here, you came from something. And what you came from came from something. (laughs) And so atheists believe in a God. Now they will tell you they don't believe in a God, but they do. They have to believe in a God. Or else they would have to believe that something came from nothing. And if you're not ready to look like a fool and admit that something came from nothing, then you have to admit then there is a God. Now, it may not be the God of the Bible. It may not be the God we're going to describe tonight. But you must believe in a God. So let's start there. Okay. Because whether your God is molecules, whether your God is atoms, whether your God is space dust, whether your God is bubbling goo, whatever it is that you believe started everything, guess what? That's your God. (laughs) So let's start with that premise right there. Let's start with everybody believing in a God because everybody does because nobody is foolish enough to tell you I believe everything came out of nothing. That is dumb. Okay, It's foolishness. So let's start with the premise that everybody 
believes in a God. So the next question we then ask is, okay, well, which God is then correct? Which God is the correct God? Which God is the right God? Is it the atoms and the molecules and the bacteria and the goo, which in and of itself has to come from somewhere? And again, that's all you got to do with an atheist is just take them back as far as they want to go. Where do we come from? Well, we came from monkeys, okay? Where do the monkeys come from? Well, they came from uh, these little um, fish in the sea. Okay, where did the fish in the sea come from? Well, they came from these little amoebas uh, from the bubbling goo. Where did the bubbling goo come from? Just take them back as far as they want to go, okay? <laughs> Eventually, you're going to have to get to somebody who started it all. Somebody who was eternal. Somebody who's everlasting, something or someone who has always been, who got things started. So just take them back as far as they want to go. And whatever you get to the end of, that's your God. And that thing, whatever it is, must be eternal. Always being. So, is the true God, the correct God, atoms, molecules, bacteria, bubbling goo, Or is it something or someone more sophisticated than that? That's the question. We've all agreed that everybody believes in a God. Now we're trying to figure out which is the right God, the correct God. Is it just atoms and molecules and space dust? Or is it something or someone more sophisticated than that? Well, art experts will tell you they can look at a painting and tell you who painted it, okay? Famous artwork, right? They can look at a painting. They can look at a painting and say, oh, yeah, that's a Rembrandt. (laughs) They can look at a painting and say, oh, yeah, that's a Van Gogh. They can look at a painting and say, oh, yeah, that's a Picasso. How are they able to do that? Because by looking at creation, they can tell of the creator (laughs) who created it because they know their work. They understand that. In the same way, all we have to do to know and to understand the right God or the right creator is to simply look at what's been created. (laughs) By looking at what's been created, we can then know something about the creator. In other words, you can know the creator based on what's been created. And we know that Space, time, and matter were created. We now know that, okay? Secular scientists will tell you that that space, time, and matter were created. They had a beginning, okay? Now, because space, time, and matter was created, had a beginning, that means whatever created space, time, and matter couldn't be of space, time, and matter, right? (laughs) Okay, this isn't too hard, okay? (laughs) If space, time, and matter had a beginning, okay, was created, that means that whatever created space, time, and matter couldn't be of space, time, and matter. That means whatever created it had to be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. Those three things. Because you can't create something that was already here, okay? So because these things were created, it had to be created 
by something outside of them. Something or someone who is spaceless, who is timeless, and who is immaterial. Secondly, we know that life and this world, this planet, this universe even, is designed. Okay? Everybody can see if you study life, if you study this world, if you study the universe, you can see that it has been designed. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. Any further away from the sun, we'd freeze to death. Okay? The gravitational pull, the, the tilt of the earth, the rotational uh, uh, part of, of, of the earth and, and the moon and the orbit and, and, the, and the waves, and all of that working together like a clock, perfectly designed, beautifully designed, mess with one aspect of that. <laughs> you change but one thing about how creation is, is functioning. We all cease to exist. You look at creation and you see that it has been perfectly designed in order to have life and in order to sustain life. So if we can look at creation, if we can look at life, if we can look at the world and the universe and how it's been designed, then we could surmise that then the creator would have to be an intelligent designer. Couldn't be an amoeba, couldn't be atoms, couldn't be space dust, couldn't be bubbling goo. Why? Because we see creation has been perfectly designed, therefore we can conclude it had to be done by an intelligent designer. All you have to do is look at what's been created in order to know who created it. So if you have spaceless, a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, intelligent being who created space, time, and matter and life intelligently, then that means that it was a personal decision that was made to do it. In other words, whoever created all this had to make a personal decision to do it. Because it was created. It's not just spontaneous. If all that is true, what we said, and it is, then that means whoever created all this had to make a personal decision to do so. Which would make the creator personal or person. It would make the creator person. Now, what is person? What is personhood? Well, personhood is anyone who has will, intellect, and emotion. In other words, they have consciousness, internal and external awareness. They have reasoning. They're able to solve new and complex problems. They have volition, self-motivation. They're able to act. They have communication, able to receive and send or convey messages. They have uh, some type of morality, a standard of what is right and what is wrong. That is personhood. So if this being that decided to create all that is created made a personal decision, then that would mean they are 
person. So now we are narrowing down all of your options for the right God. <laughs> can't be an amoeba. Can't be bubbling goo. Can't just be an atom. Can't be molecules. Can't be space dust. We've narrowed it down to this is a being that is spaceless, that is timeless, that is immaterial, that is intelligent, that is personal, that is person. We've narrowed it down. Now, we still haven't gotten to the God of the Bible yet. <laughs> but at least we've eliminated a lot of possibilities, okay? Now, you can deny all of that if you want to, and many people do. All the things that I just went over with you, all the things that I just explained to you, you can deny all of that if you want to. And many do. But all you would be doing is fulfilling Romans 1 that says, and they suppress the truth. <laughs> they suppressed the truth because they didn't like the truth. They didn't want the truth, so they suppressed the truth so they can stay ignorant and stay in their sin. So it's like taking a beach ball and trying to suppress it underwater. What happens? It keeps popping back up. <laughs> so you got to press it down even harder and it just keeps popping up. That's what scientists are discovering. <laughs> Every time they discover something like this, they can't explain. It's like, wait a minute, this can't just have happened out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, look at all of this. Look at life. Look at the design of, of the universe and all. It can't just have happened. Why? Because the truth popped up. But some don't want the truth. What they're going to do, they're going to push it back down, suppress it. But you cannot deny the truth of what I just told you. And those that do clearly have more faith than even Christians. <laughs> Anybody who would try to suppress the truth that I just explained to you clearly has more faith than even Christians. I mean, you believe that all this came out of nothing? <laughs> you believe all this came just out of happenstance? And it perfectly works to have life and sustain life? You believe that something came out of nothing? You must have more faith than I do. <laughs> I mean, at least I attribute creation to a creator. You have faith to believe that everything came out of nothing. <laughs> you have more faith than I do. <laughs> that is what that means when someone will suppress the truth that is obvious and evident. But again, with all that said, we still have not arrived at the God of the Bible. So how do we get to the God of the Bible then? Well, while creation proves the creator, the, the word proves the writer. Okay? I messed that up, so let me say it again. <laughs> while creation proves the creator, the word proves the writer. What do we mean by that? Well, there are many reasons why you should believe in the Bible. Many reasons why you should believe in the word of God. Let me just give you four. History, consistency, accuracy, and prophecy. Okay? <laughs> Those four reasons. No other book comes even remotely close to the Bible, remotely close to God's word. 
in the category of those four things. History, accuracy, consistency, and most definitely not prophecy. And with those four reasons, it's enough for you to believe in the Bible. It is enough for you to believe in the word of God. And so when you take the truth that you know of creation and the truth that you know of the Bible, God's word, then the true God is revealed to you. When you take the truth of creation that you know, the truth of the Bible that you know, it is with those two things that the true God is then revealed to you. Now, what does all that have to do with what we believe about the afterlife? What does that have to do with those four questions that we started off with and what's on the other side of the curtain or the veil? Well, again, it simply proves why we believe what we believe. Because again, anybody can say they believe in anything. Anything. You can say you believe in anything. Okay, and you may hear some atheists talking about the spaghetti monster in the sky or whatever. Anybody can say anything. The question is, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And these are the reasons why we believe the God of the Bible. And therefore, why we're going to go to the God of the Bible to get a sneak peek behind the curtain to get a sneak peek on what's on the other side. Because unless you've been in first class, you don't know what's in first class. <laughs> unless you've been on the other side of the curtain, you don't know what's on the other side of the curtain unless the one who's on the other side reveals it to you. And so we are going to go to the God of the Bible that he may reveal to us what is on the other side, and this is why we are going to believe it. That reason and that reason alone. But even within Christianity itself, what we believe differs. Again, one of the questions were Catholics. They believe in purgatory. And so you may have different denominations and even within same denominations, different beliefs about the afterlife and what happens after death and all those things. Well, now that we have shown you why we believe, next week we're going to then show you what we believe according to God's word. How do you know why we believe? We're now going to show you what we believe. We've all heard that uh, joke or story about the wife who was making pot roast for dinner one day, and uh, she takes the pot roast, and before she puts it in the pot, she cuts both ends off of it. Y'all heard that story, right? She cuts both ends off, and she puts it in the pot roast. Her husband says, honey, wh wh why you cut the ends off? That's, that's good meat there. <laughs> why, why are you cutting the ends off? So I don't know. I mean, my mom did it, so I do it. Let me call my mom and see why she did it. So she calls her mom and says, Mom, I'm making pot roast. I cut the ends off just like you do. You know how we do, right? I cut off. You know, my husband, he's asking me why I do that. I really didn't know why, so I thought I'd call you. You tell me why. Mom said, I don't know why. My mom did it. <laughs> call your grandmother. She did it. <laughs> So she calls her grandmother and asks her the same question. Grandma says, I don't know. My mother did it. And so, uh, you know, call great-grandma. So she calls great-grandma and great-grandma says, oh, honey, that's because my pot was too small. That's the only reason I cut the ends off. You got a big enough pot. You don't have to cut the ends off anymore. <laughs> it's 
amazing what we will believe and not even know why we believe it. It is amazing the things we will do and how we will live our lives simply because it's been passed down, simply because it's been taught to us, and we don't even know why we're doing it. (laughs) Don't even know if it's true or not. Don't even know if it's right or not, but simply because that's how we were taught. That's how we were raised. That's how Big Mama did it. That's how we've been doing it for generations. And we never figure out if it's true or not. We never answer the question why we do it. God does not want you to check your brain at the door. God doesn't say leave your intellect at home. God doesn't say this is just blind faith. You just got to believe it. No. He says, question me. Challenge me. Investigate me. How do we know that? Well, 1 Peter 3.15 says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And watch this. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. A reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. God says, oh, I just have faith. You just got to believe. That's a dumb answer. And I know I'm stepping on toes now because you probably said that before, just like I said it before. But you simply say, oh, you just got to believe it just because. God says, that's dumb. (laughs) I wouldn't believe either if that's the answer you gave me. No. Know why you believe what you believe. Know why you believe what it is that you are holding on to and the hope that you have because you are basing all of your eternity on it. It is not enough just to simply have blind faith. Well, that's what the preacher said, so that's what I believe. That's how we were raised, so that's what I believe. No. God says always be ready to give a defense. Always be ready to have an answer for the hope that you have. So my challenge to you and God's challenge to all of us here today is that we would investigate. We will ask questions. We will challenge. It's not disrespectful. We just want to know. That's what the Bereans did. The Bible says they went back and they searched the scriptures to see if these things be so. Nothing wrong with that at all. And that's what we do here each and every week, and we're going to continue to do it with this series as well. Amen? Give the Lord a hand for his word, if you will, please.